Hello and welcome. The following message is from Benediction Church in Hamilton, Ontario. I don't see the point of cats on the best of days, but we need to talk today about lions, which are the worst of all cats. Uh, just to be clear, just to make sure we're all on the same page about what a what a lion is, it's just a giant monster uh, cat. You get that right? How many people here have ever seen a real live lion in in real life, like up, like in person? Oh my goodness, every, almost everybody. Good, that's really good because it's important that we just are absolutely clear what a lion is. Uh, a lion is bigger than you. It's it's heavier than you are. They are about 500 pounds of muscle and anger. They are faster than you. They can run up to about 75 kilometers an hour in short bursts. 75 kilometers an hour. That's, uh, that's fast. They're stronger than you are. Do you know that if they bite down on you, uh, they have a, a bite force of 1,000 pounds per square inch. 1,000 pounds per square inch is the bite force of a lion. And of course, they eat people. You understand that, right? They look at people and they don't see friends, they see food. So we need to be utterly clear about what a lion is. In fact, just in order to help us to be prepared, uh, I wanted to present some helpful information, some uh, some how-tos on how to survive a lion attack. If you ever find yourself face-to-face with a lion out in the wild, it is survivable, you can come through it, but it is important to know these 10 helpful steps. So the first step, if you are, if you ever face-to-face with a lion in the wild, don't panic. So according to WikiHow, according to all of the experts, the first step is don't panic. The second is do not run. Don't run. Stand your ground. Stay where you are. Stand your ground. Number three, retreat slowly. Okay? Don't turn your back on the lion. Back up slowly from the lion as it's deciding whether to attack you. Now, what if the lion attacks? Well, if the lion attacks, here's what you do. You shout. Shout as loud as possible, make as much noise as you can, raise your hands, and make a great big commotion. Number five, remain standing. And this is very important because lions prefer to lunge, and when they lunge, they will go for your face or your throat. So it's just helpful to know that. When it goes for you, when it lunges at your face and your throat, it's important that you stay standing. All right, number six. The reason you need to stay standing is so that you can fight back. You'll need to punch or kick the lion as it jumps at you. You have kind of a, you don't have a ton of time here, but as it's jumping, you want to get that punch in. You want to aim for its head. You want to aim for its eyes because those are his vulnerable points. You also, step number seven is you want to find his weaknesses. So if he bites you, if he's got you in his mouth, you've got a couple of options. You can strike him in his gums because his gums are very sensitive. You might reach inside and try to punch for the back of his throat in order to activate his, his gag reflex, in which case he, uh, he might release you. Or you might go for the genitals. It's a lion. If it's a choice between life by kicking a lion in his genitals or dying because I didn't, I would definitely do it. Uh, step number eight, of course, seek medical help. Seek medical help if you survive, of course. Step number nine is to seek psychological help. If you've been uh, attacked by a lion, it is, of course, a traumatic experience. 
seek psychological help. And then number 10, step number 10, and this, the, the experts are unanimous on this one, always stay away from mating lions. Always stay away from those mating lions. Do not go near them when it's business time, okay? So those are the steps you need in order to avoid uh, a lion attack. And the reason is because we need to be absolutely clear what a lion is. It is a giant, uncontrollable, killer monster cat and we need to understand that in order for today's story to land okay today we are talking about the story of daniel in the lion's den this is another one of those famous stories from the book of daniel we've got another story of another miraculous rescue and it's all because the government of of persia in in babylon here in babylon it's kind of confusing but it's the persians who are now in charge of babylon and the the leaders are jealous because Daniel, the prophet, he's better at his job than any of the rest of them. In fact, we're told in verse 4 that Daniel was faithful, always responsible, and completely trustworthy. And I think that's a beautiful thing to say about a person of faith living in Babylon and serving. That he was, all, he was faithful, always responsible, and completely trustworthy. In fact, I considered writing this as a message about work so that we would be thinking about the importance of working hard uh, and even if nobody else does even if the rest of our colleagues do not but this isn't this isn't ultimately a story about work it's a, it's actually a story about faith it's about a faith that saves okay now everyone has saving faith and you may have heard me say that before everyone has saving faith whether they are the most religious person whatever the kind of world religion they belong to whatever their worldview no matter how secular a person is everyone has saving faith because everybody looks at something and says yea though i walk through the valley of the shadow of death i will fear no evil for this is with me and whatever that thing is whatever that thing is that's what you count on to keep you safe okay so whether that is your intellect or your wits or your friends or your kids or your home or your possessions or your wealth or your education or whatever it is that thing that you trust in that thing that get, that keeps you from fear that's where your saving faith is now daniel is a guy with saving faith and his saving faith is in god and we know that and i'm going to give you a bit of a spoiler here we know that because this, the text says as daniel comes up out of the lion's den in verse 23 near the end of the chapter not a scratch was found on him for he had trusted in his god not a scratch was found on him for in other words like because he had trusted in his god in other words the reason that daniel comes up out of the den of lions unharmed is because he trusted god is that right like is that what is that how saving faith works well i want to wrestle with that today I, I like to think that we're a community that can wrestle with questions and, and look at the text and go, yeah, but is that what it's actually saying? Because it's not, doesn't necessarily jive with what our day-to-day -day experience is. Let's be honest, some of us, uh, at times our faith is stronger. At other times our faith is, is weaker. We have times where we, where, where we doubt that this is all real. Maybe we're just telling ourselves these stories in, in order to make ourselves feel better and help us sleep at night. We have hard 
hard, hard times. Hard, we face trials, and you may uh, obviously never face a lion face to face. You may never face a literal lion, but you and I, we live in Babylon, man. We are here in Babylon, and we will surely uh, be betrayed like Daniel. We will be bullied. Uh, we will be mistreated. And when these things happen, they test our faith. Okay? They test our faith. And it sounds like when Daniel's faith was tested, he was saved from the lions because he trusted in God. Okay? He's, it, it sounds like he's saved from the lions because he trusts in God. And you might hear that, and you might think, okay, so if I trust God, I won't be harmed either. Like, I, I won't have a scratch either. I'll come out without a scratch because I trust God as well. Like, saving faith means trusting that God is always going to save me from the pit of lines. Like, that's what saving faith is. And I want you to know that's not how faith works. We need to see that today. So today we're asking, we're asking, what is it that we are supposed to trust God for? What is it that we're trusting God for? Like, what is it that saving faith believes? Okay, what, is, what does saving faith believe? And the answer might not be what you think it should be, just to be clear. Uh, and so to get at this, uh, I'm going to look at the story under three headings. First of all, we want to be totally clear on what it is that Daniel doesn't hope in, what he doesn't trust in. We want to be really clear about how it all worked out for everybody involved. And then, of course, we want to answer the question, what is saving faith? So let's begin by making sure that we've seen what Daniel does not hope in. Okay? What he doesn't hope in. And there's a few things here. There's a few people. Uh, the first, of course, is the king, Darius. His hope is not in King Darius. Now, Darius seems like a great guy at first. He's, he, in verse 3, he made plans to place Daniel over the entire empire. <clears throat> he knows that Daniel is a great guy. He's, he deserves to be in leadership because he's so competent and gifted and, and trustworthy. He's a, he's a leader, clearly. Except Darius is also a people pleaser. And, of course, in our text, we heard that, uh, that the government convinces the king to start this 30-day worship festival. So where for the next 30 days, anyone who doesn't worship King Darius, anyone who worships any other god than King Darius, is going to be fed to the lions. And Darius goes, okay, let's do it. Sure, that sounds great. And when he realizes what this means for Daniel, we read in verse 14, the king was deeply troubled and he tried to think of a way to save Daniel. He tried to think of a way to save Daniel. You know, it's interesting. All of Babylon now worships this guy as a god. And he's struggling. He's in tension because he, doesn't, because he feels like he's, he's bound by the law. He's really not. The tricky th the thing is here, as much as he cares about Daniel, and he does, what Darius cares about most of all is his reputation. And clearly Daniel can't trust in a guy like that. He can't trust in the king. That's a faith that wouldn't save. Who else, who else does he not trust in? He doesn't trust in the government. He doesn't trust in the government. Some of you are like, amen. Let me, let me just explain this a little bit. You've got this their parliament, legislature, whatever, the Senate. 120 of them are corrupt. And they have meetings and they conspire to get rid of Daniel because he's better than they are. But worse than that, there's another reason they want to get rid of Daniel. It's in verse 13. There's a, kind of a hint of it in verse 13. They say to the king, quote, that man Daniel, one of the captives from Judah, is ignoring you and your law. 
He still prays to his God three times a day. The only difference, the only perceivable difference between Daniel and them, other than that he's better at his job, is that he's Jewish. And so lots of commentators uh, agree this is anti-Semitism. This is an ancient form of anti-Semitism. It's this belief that the Jews have come into our space to take over, to, they're, they're dangerous, they're going to, you know, eradicate our way of life. We need to get rid of them. And so the government creates this whole situation, this whole worship campaign. They come up with it, wasting all this time and money just in order to get rid of Daniel. And he doesn't speak to them at all. He doesn't approach them. He doesn't deal with them at all. Uh, he knows that he can't trust them. So his trust is clearly not in the government. We know also he can't trust the lions. I mean, this needs to be said because we know what a lion is. He can't trust the lions. It's not like he's going to land in the pit and go, maybe if I stay real still, okay? He's not going to land in the pit and say, maybe they don't like the taste of Hebrew. None of that. We know, because we know what a lion is, we know what's going to happen. We know what's supposed to happen when an old man like Daniel lands in a pit filled with hungry lions. We know that he is supposed to be a goner. So Daniel clearly can't trust in the lions. Well, one more. We need to see that Daniel's hope is not in himself. It's not in himself. Some of you are prayer warriors. You love prayer. You love gathering for prayer, and uh, Daniel does too. Daniel's a guy who retreats three times a day uh, into his, his private quarters for private prayer because he trusts God. And that time in prayer is very precious to him. I admire Daniel for that. Uh, for Daniel to miss prayer, that is a, a fate that's worse, worse than death. Like just so we're on the same page, Daniel is a guy who would rather die than live in a world where he cannot pray. Okay? He'd rather die than live in a world where he can't pray. And he could have. He could have changed this. He could have uh, survived and avoided this situation easily. Like, why not just skip prayer for 30 days? It's just 30 days. Why not find a more private place to pray? Why do you have to pray in front of the window facing Jerusalem? Nobody, what, why do you do that? Why not make it easy on yourself? Daniel doesn't trust in himself or his own efforts. He doesn't trust in the lions or the king or the government. What we know about Daniel is that not a scratch was found on him for he had trusted in his God. Okay? Now, we've seen what he doesn't trust in. We know what he, his hope is not in. Now we need to look at this story in terms of how it all works out. Okay? How does it all work out for everybody involved? How does it work out? Not just for Daniel, but everybody else. First of all, we could talk about the lions. Okay? So, frankly, it's actually, it actually works out pretty good for them. If you, as you get to the end of the story, they are well-fed. They're not complaining. The lions are full. God has taken care of the lions. How about for Persia? How did it work out for Persia? Well, actually, in a sense, it worked out really great for Persia, too, because in kind of one fell swoop, this entire corrupt government has been uh, removed from power. The whole government, like that, is gone, removed from power. Verse 24, the king gave orders to arrest the men who had maliciously accused Daniel. He had, he, sorry, he had them thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and children. 
The lions leapt on them and tore them apart before they even hit the floor of the den. The government's gone. These corrupt leaders and their families are gone. So there's no risk that they'll ever be back. Uh, and, and now Persia can start over with good judges and good governors. Well, how did things work out for the king? How did things work out for the king? Well, the king is changed at the end of the story. When we meet the king, he's a, a people pleaser. Now we get to the end of the story, and he has shown all of Babylon, all of Persia, that he is not a puppet. He's not going to be pushed around. And, and he uses his power and his platform as the king in order to tell the world about what God has done. And we've got this great doxology at the end of the story in verse 26, that he is the living God, and he will endure forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed, and his rule will never end. He rescues and saves his people. He performs miraculous signs and wonders in the heavens and on earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. Now that is not Daniel talking or any other Hebrew prophet. That is King Darius. And it looks like he's had this radical conversion experience, this radical transformation, and now he's got saving faith in God as well. Well, let's now look at how things turn out uh, for Daniel. How do things turn out for Daniel? Well, yes, he's been rescued from the lions, but that's not it. In fact, that's not even the main thing. When, when the king asks, is he okay? He comes back the next morning to see, is Daniel okay? Verse 22, Daniel says, My God sent his angel to shut the lions' mouths so that they wouldn't hurt me. For I have been found innocent in his sight, and I have not wronged you, your majesty. Like, this was an unjust sentence from the beginning. Like, from the start, you had no right to send me to the lions because I did nothing wrong. That's interesting. Because we read that, and again, we ask, does this mean, does God mean for us to hear, to hear this and think that when you trust God, that lions can't hurt you, that, tr that lions won't hurt you, that, that those who trust in God aren't going to get a scratch? Because it kind of sounds like it kind of sounds like that's what's going on. In fact, that was the message that was taught for a long, long time when people would tell this story. There was this, there's this ancient tra uh, tradition among the rabbis that they would share when they told this story. They said that in the lion's den, there were hundreds of lions, and every day they were fed lion, uh, sorry, they were fed lambs, and they were fed cattle every day. And before Daniel was thrown into the pit, according to this legend, they starved the lions for a whole week. An entire week, these lions were unfed. And then when Daniel was thrown into the pit, just when you expect the lions to pounce on him and eat him, the legend says, like this rabbinical sort of tradition says, all the lions surrounded him. They began to lick his feet and became as docile as kittens. Okay? And so, in fact... Uh, as Daniel is stuck in this lion's den for we don't know how long, but when he got hungry, another angel came and flew over from Israel, came over from Palestine, carrying the prophet uh, Habakkuk by his hair and would set him down in the, the pit of lions and, so that uh, Habakkuk would feed Daniel back and forth. Every day, every time uh, Daniel was hungry, Habakkuk would be brought back and forth from Palestine, and he would land and he would feed Daniel. And so in a lot of synagogues, the message that was taught with this story is, 
look at what God will do for you if you trust him. God will rescue you from the lions, but only if you have faith like Daniel. But I want to notice, I want to observe a couple of things. First of all, in a sense, Daniel isn't rescued from the lions. In a very real way, he ends up in the lion's den. Like, that's clear. And this is an awful situation. Like, you've, you've got to understand, this is not a, Daniel did not get a good night's sleep that night there in the lion's den, okay? We need to understand, he's very much in the lion's den. Notice also, and this is very important, Daniel isn't rescued because of how much faith he had in God, right? Daniel isn't rescued because of how much faith he had in God. The reason that we know, the reason that we know is because it wasn't a lack of faith that put Daniel in the lion's den in the first place. It wasn't a failure to trust God that is the reason why Daniel ended up in the lion's den. In fact, it's just the opposite. And what God isn't saying in this story is, trust God so that you'll be saved from the lions and from every other danger and every other uncomfortable situation in your life. I mean, let's be honest. God doesn't do that. He's never promised that he would. God doesn't always rescue people from the lions in our lives. So if that's, not what, if that's not what saving faith is, what is the message here? What's the point here? What is it that Daniel's trusting for? What is the point of saving faith if it isn't to save us from the lions? And I think now we come to it. We, come, we sort of have a, 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 an answer to our question. What does saving faith believe? What does saving faith believe? And it's that God is with us. It's that God is with us. Do you see that in the story of, of Daniel? We read this story, and we're so amazed by the miracle with the lions that we miss the, the, we, we miss the point of the lions being there in, in the first place. And in verse 22, we read, this is Daniel talking, God sent his angel to shut the lions' mouths so that they wouldn't hurt me. The lions become props. That's, that's, it, that's it. Because God shows up. God sends his, his angel. In fact, many scholars and kind of theologians argue that what we've, what's going on here is where it says that God sent his angel, that's not just any angel. That's not God saying he sent, that's not saying God sent an angel. That's a very specific angel. It's the angel of the Lord. It's God the Son. And we've already seen that he shows up a few different times in the Old Testament. One of them was in, earlier in the book of Daniel in the fiery furnace. And uh, here he is with Daniel, God the Son, who would be, who would be uh, incarnate on earth as Christ, is here in the den of lions with Daniel. And suddenly, this thing becomes an object lesson in the kingdom. This becomes an object lesson in what God's kingdom is like. Because there was another prophet, and this is the prophet Isaiah, and, and, and Isaiah had these, these visions of God's Messiah, God's hero, God's champion, who was going to come, and he was going to bring a whole different thing. He was going to start a whole new world. And uh, Isaiah wrote, when he saw this Messiah, he said, In that day, the wolf and the lamb will live together. The leopard will lie down with the baby goat. The calf and the yearling will be safe with the lion, and a little child will lead them all. The cow will graze near the bear. The cub and the calf will lie down together. The lion will eat hay like a cow. 
Nothing will hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for as the waters fill the sea, so the earth will be filled with people who know the Lord. And I wonder, is there a picture that's kind of forming for you? Like, can you see, can you begin to see now kind of what God has done in this story of Daniel in the pit of lions? God doesn't just save a brave hero from the lions. He does that, but he does a lot more too. He takes a coward king and he turns him, gives him radical faith. He takes a a wicked government and he wipes it away in one fell swoop. He, He cares for the lions. Nobody else cares about the lions, but the lions end up taken care of as well. But most of all, of all the things God is doing in this story, God turns a pit of lions into a sanctuary. He turns the lions into preachers and and prophets. God didn't just shut the mouths of the lions. God shows Daniel and all of us a future in which lions are not these uncontrollable, angry monster cats, but even a lion can serve God. And God is with him. God is with Daniel. God is with him there in the pit. And so when the king calls down for Daniel the next morning, like, everything okay? Did you survive? Was God able to save you? Daniel says, everything's fine down here. Because it is. It is. Because trusting in God might not keep you out of the lion's den. I hope you hear me on this. Trusting God may not keep you out of the lion's den. Sometimes trusting God is going to be the thing that puts you in the lion's den in the first place. But saving faith doesn't depend on that. Saving faith says, you are right here with me, just as you promised you would be. You, Lord, are right here with me, just like you promised. And it is better to be down here with you than to be up there without you. Let me say that again. Saving faith says, God is right here with me, And it is better to be right down here with him in the lion's pit than it is to be up there without him. I think that's what saving faith believes. God is always with you. God always will be with you. And he always has been. God has always been with us, except for one time. Except for one time. You know, according to Scripture, there's only one time in all of history that God didn't show up. And it's just once, it's at the cross when Jesus was hanging there and he cried out, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Some versions, why have you forsaken me? And it's a quote from Psalm 22. Okay? Psalm 22. And, and I'm not sure if you're familiar with Psalm 22, but in Psalm 22, it also says, a little later, later on, verse 12, my enemies surround me like a herd of bulls. Fierce bulls of Bashan have hemmed me in like lions. They open up their jaws against me roaring and tearing into their prey. A little bit later on, the psalmist prays, God, save me from the sword. Spare my precious life from these dogs. Snatch me from the lion's jaws, from the horns of these wild oxen. That's Jesus' prayer as he's hanging on the cross. And for the first time ever, God didn't show up. For the first time ever, God didn't come. And I hope that we agree it wasn't because Jesus didn't have enough faith. Are you with me on that? It's not because Jesus didn't have enough faith. Jesus has all the faith in the world, 
he, if he wanted to, he could call down a dozen legions of angels. He could have wiped out the entire Roman Empire in, that, in, in, a, in a second. The problem is not that Jesus doesn't have faith and therefore God isn't going to rescue him from the cross. Jesus has faith that God is taking this thing, taking all of this horror and all of this evil and all of this bad, and he is turning it into something good, just like he promised. There's Daniel in the pit of lions with saving faith, and he says to the king, my God shut the lions' mouths so that they wouldn't hurt me because I'm innocent in his sight. Well, later, Jesus Christ, hanging on the cross, he also, with saving faith, he, he says to us, my God did not shut the mouth of the lions. They did hurt me. In fact, they, they tore me apart so that you could be innocent in my sight. Jesus says, my trust in God didn't save me, but from now on, yours does, and he will never leave you, and he will never forsake you. Isn't that good news? Man, here we are. We are stuck in Babylon. Later today, maybe tomorrow, you are going to face something. You're going to come face to face with something that tests your faith, and it's going to feel like a, it's going to feel like lions. It's going to be bigger than you. It's going to test your faith. And my dream for us is that when we're there, in that moment, we're going to say, God, I don't know what you're doing here, but I know you're doing something, and it is better to be here with Jesus than to be anywhere else without him. And I think that that's what saving faith believes. Thanks for listening to this message from Benediction Church in Hamilton, Ontario. Feel free to copy and share these resources, but please don't alter the content in any way. We invite you to visit us online again soon at www.benediction.church for more teaching and information about how you can join us in serving and praying that it would be in Hamilton as it is in heaven.